Hi, I'm Niv. Hi, I'm Martin. And we are Asteroids in Exile. Then what are we waiting for? Let's go get them. Welcome, everyone, to episode seven of Asteroids in Exile. What's our title this, this episode, Martin? This episode's called Go Nuts on Star Wars. Yes. Very literal. We're, <laughs> we're talking about the franchise that kicked off a lot of blessed childhoods on, on this planet and also a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Made, made a whole... Maybe it was the start of fandoms, right? This is the first yeah. time maybe people went super crazy for something that wasn't a boy band from the UK. And it killed classic cinema because everybody thought that The Wizard was going to be the movie of the year in 1977. The and Wizard. then Star Wars came along. Yeah, it's a movie with, I guess, is a Roy Scheider and he's carrying, it's about three transports of nitroglycerin that drive through a jungle somewhere. Really? Yeah. I've not heard of this at all. It's a good movie, actually, but it's not Star Wars. <laughs> oh, well. See, I, I haven't even heard of this. So I guess <laughs> that whole theory is correct then. <laughs> cool. So what's our rundown today, Martin? Uh, we will start with our first time with, with Star Wars, how we okay. experienced a part of the franchise for the first time, because my experience is not the standard one. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have a rather unorthodox approach to Star Wars, do you? Yeah. A All really right. unorthodox approach, uh, some people tell me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Will you take us away? Oh, with like what? My, my first introduction to Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah. So, my first memory of watching Star Wars actually is um, back in South Africa when I was probably about six or seven years old. And my dad brought it home from the video store because, you know, when you had to rent tapes back in the day and um dark ages yeah and m my dad brought it home because he's like you got to watch this but my mum was all like you know he's not going to sleep tonight if you show him that right <laughs> because <laughs> i would i was scared of everything as a kid like any sort of like monster type creature movie uh, i used yeah. to love watching them but then i wouldn't be able to sleep at night <laughs> just because i'd be like it's coming to get me um, so it's funny because I, I remember that. I remember my mum saying that. I don't remember much of Star Wars at all, like from that <laughs> viewing though. Um, the only thing I do remember is the cantina scene. So I remember like all the crazy creatures playing music. Um, so that was like the most lasting memory for me. <laughs> so I don't know. I wasn't officially scared, I think, um, as a six-year-old when, when, I, when I watched it, even though there were, there, there, there were creatures in it. And I think that's probably to, to do with the fact that it was Star Wars and it wasn't about, you know, scaring you through the creatures. It was more about the overall story and uh, the, the sword fights, you know, Yeah. to me. Yeah, that, that, that was my first, um, my first experience with Star Wars. The other funny thing about the first time I watched Star Wars is I do remember the scene that, the opening scene when, <laughs> when, Prince, when, when Princess Leia is recording the message uh, for Obi-Wan Kenobi, And she sort of, like, uh, leans over and tells R2-D2, like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. So for that first watching of the movie, I thought the robot was, was, was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, okay. Right? And then, 
So I thought she was saying to the robot, help me, you're my only hope, right? So I didn't think she was leaving a message for someone else. I thought the robot was Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then as the story progressed, when they meet Ben Kenobi, and Ben Kenobi says, I am Obi-Wan Kenobi, I thought there was tension between the robot and him about who was actually the real one. So I completely misinterpreted the whole movie the first time I watched it. But it would have been cool, Obi-Wan and R2 fighting. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I seriously thought, like, okay, so who's actually Obi-Wan Kenobi? Because they're both saying that they're Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, the girl called the robot Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then the old man saying that he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. So which one is it? So, yeah, that was my confusion as a six-year-old the first time yep. I watched it. But otherwise, you know, I, I found it very pleasant. It, you know, it didn't, didn't traumatize me, even though I was scared of all the sorts of creatures um, at the time. So you've seen it in uh, 1986? Something around there, yeah, 86, okay. 87. Uh, it would have been like, I, I, I was, it was still, we, we, we were still living in South Africa. So we left South Africa in 1990. So 1990, Because you said you were six years old and it's always interesting to know the, uh, the age and the year when, when people saw Star Wars for the first time. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's, it's always interesting. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, and your, uh, Uh, your unofficial anthropological study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm publishing the papers next week. Right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, what about yourself? Or, or, when, we, yeah, when did you first see it? Uh, I've seen it on, on video also, but I've seen the, the first TV recording of it because my, my granddad was the, one of the first guys in Austria to own a, a VHS recorder. Oh, right. And he recorded everything, and uh, we g didn't get to watch it uh, until 1988, when I was around, uh, I was seven years at the time. And wow. uh, we always fantasized about what, what it would be about when we, we went to my grandfather's uh, video library. Oh, right. And uh, it was called Krieg der Sterne in German, which means uh, War Among the Stars or War of the Stars. Right. And it really spiked uh, my brothers and my imagination. And we we actually started uh, with Return of the Jedi and oh, okay. watched the trilogy in reverse. <laughs> right, that's like almost yep. a very Quentin Tarantino uh, approach to someone. <laughs> it didn't bother me uh, because I thought afterwards that I'd miss a lot of the the backstory, mm -hmm. or or I'd be too spoiled to enjoy the the first two movies. But it was a And that, and that speaks of how well-crafted the movies are. Uh, every, every one of those was actually awesome, even in the, in the reversed order. Wow. We were watching them in the, in the reversed order. Because you didn't get a, a, a big backstory mm -hmm. of everything, because Vader was, uh, was still intimidating in, in A New Hope, mm -hmm. even if you've seen his redemption in, in, in Return of the Jedi. Oh, right. So, yeah, because you've seen his redemption. And at that stage, you also already know that he's Luke's father, right? Yeah. I mean, that's But how that, yeah. That didn't bother me. And uh, what, what, what did bother me were all the, the names. Mm -hmm. uh, I was especially struggling with uh, C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah. Because how they're written and how, how they're, they're spelled. I didn't get the, the whole the nu the numeric aspect of the names. Oh, right. So <clears throat> when you watched it, you had subtitles, right? No, no, I watched it in German. Oh, so it was dubbed in German. Yeah, it was the first time they were shown on, on German television and my right. grandfather uh, recorded them. 
Right. I actually liked how you said that, is that my grandfather had the first um, VHS recorder, and he, it was almost like his duty was to record everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, he, he, wasn't, he was nuts. He recorded everything. We, we had a slew of documentaries and movies. He had this really? huge library of VHS tapes. Uh, as a kid, I can imagine that would be awesome, like going over to, to like... To going over to granddad's house and just being like, all right, the whole world of recorded media is in front of is, me. It's here, yeah. It was the internet ba- and YouTube for me <laughs> yeah, back yeah, in I the know, day. I know, right? <laughs> and the neat thing was my other grandfather didn't have a, a VHS tape, but a Betamax recorder. Oh, and wow. that, that was also <laughs> with the front loading mechanism, uh, yeah. the top loading mechanism. Yeah. yeah. But uh, staying with Star Wars, that was my first experience. Cool. So what, what makes it classic for you? Just a, uh, it's, it's, it feels like uh, the Robin Hood movie with Errol Flynn, but the sci-fi version of it. Mm-hmm. It has all of the, the, the classic tropes in, the, in that sci-fi setting. And every single thing has a backstory. And even though uh, most people, or, or at my first watching, I wasn't aware of the backstory, in preparation for this, I watched bits of Return of the Jedi and, and Star Wars uh, yeah. a, a few hours ago. And... The, the scene when Luke gets dropped into the Rancor pit, you have Dengar standing in the, back, in, uh, in the foreground and then moving, uh, moving forward to look uh, into the pit. And uh, even back then, I, I wanted to know the backstory of that guy because the universe seemed so rich that there has to be, there has to be some background, some amazing background for this guy. And that was, well, was what grabbed me as a kid. Everything, uh, everything worked so well together. Yeah, and everybody's story uh, correlating in, in in such an interesting way. Yeah, that was I think the, the key thing for for me as well. The world building was just really good. It was like a whole universe. It wasn't just one thing, right? Yeah. Um, it wasn't just one story, and just like y- you got a sense that there was so much more going on, and that everywhere you looked. Like even in that cantina scene, there were so many other things happening, yeah. you know. So that was, you know, Luke's story and Obi-Wan's story was just one part of like a larger world. And it kind of felt like that. And like even like the whole thing that would like Han Solo's backstory, you know, like they don't really tell you a whole lot in that first movie, except uh, kind of like you get this circumstantial background stories, you know, with him and Greedo and stuff like that. But you don't really know, you know, so Han, even as a character, has got this very mysterious back backstory that you're like ah, oh, i want to know more about that yeah which we'll come to a little bit later actually yeah <laughs> and even though we didn't get because in the oh no we'll get to that a little bit later yeah <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about it now <laughs> yeah but and everything's uh everything seems used and and lived in it's yeah it feels so new and so old at the same time it's so great yeah and because, hearing oh uh, sorry uh just to go to your point that everything kind of feels like lived in yeah, it feels like there, would, that there was grease in the machines and there was dirt between people's fingernails. You know, yeah. like it was a real place. It wasn't just like it didn't feel like a movie set. You yeah. know, it didn't feel like somebody built this just to film a movie, <laughs> which is what a lot of science fiction was before this. This was actually like it felt, yeah, it, the, the d- design quality of and the production quality was so high that it really comes across as a place that actually exists. And hearing Obi-Wan talk about the olden days when everything was was better, mm-hmm. it made you think about what led what led this world, uh, or yeah. what led the empire to to let this world uh, crumble, essentially. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, and 
I'm not probably as fluent, like, like I'm not a master of science fiction or anything, but it, Star Wars is definitely like fantasy disguised as science fiction, right? Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people who saw it were expecting science fiction when they saw it the first time because it was about space. And normally, you know, back in the 70s and 60s, if it was a movie about space, it was going to be science fiction and it was going to be set in the future. Yeah. You know, but from the outset, Star Wars starts a long time ago, right? In a galaxy far, far away. And so it's got that fantasy aspect to it. And a lot of fantasy does have, um, you know, those huge worlds. Like if you think of like even Lord of the Rings and stuff, you know, there's like centuries and generations of history that lead up to this moment in time. Yeah. And you do get that sense in Star Wars. So it's completely filled out. And you also get the sense for uh, at least a, a tiny f fraction of it, uh, of everyday life, when we meet uh, Uncle Owen and he talks to Luke about what his duties are on the farm and what he still has to do and that he needs him uh, to bring in the harvest and all yeah. of that. Which is, which is it, the, the grounding part of, of the story, right? Is that e even though, like it becomes this fantastical story. At the end of the day, Luke is still a kid at home who's got chores to do. Yeah. You know? He still has to make his bed and he still has to like, you know, clean his room and do all of those sorts of things. And then of course, help out around the house or the farm as it were. So I think, yeah, that, that was a very cool way to ground the character and make it relatable, even though he's living on a desert planet and yeah. he's farming moisture, whatever that means, you know, but people can relate to it. Those elements definitely made it a classic, I think, in the sense. And it's, you know, we still sort of clearly talk about it today. It's yeah. a billion dollar franchise, you know, so. You know, I still get teary-eyed when, when Luke removes the helmet uh, in, in Return of the Jedi. And you yeah. have, how, is it Howard Shaw? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, uh, the actor the, that originally yeah. portrayed. Uh, yeah, well, not the actor in the suit, but an, uh, another actor. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's still, uh, it's... It, I, I seldom cry at movies and I get a lot of flag for it, but Star Wars gets me every time. That scene gets me oh, really? every time, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it, it, it is d definitely special. So then we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> the prequels. After the original trilogy, what did you think about the prequels? So maybe I can start first. Please do. Start <laughs> <laughs> so... I remember leading up. So my friend in high school became a super massive Star Wars fan. So I, I was not actually a super massive Star Wars fan when I put myself uh, relative to this guy. Um, I'm still friends with him now, so, but I, I, I'm not going to name names. He didn't um, quit the friendship. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He probably but will not. <laughs> before episode one came out, he, he became like the world's biggest Star Wars fan, I'm pretty sure. Um, and he like he hyped up the rest of the group like you know how like if one one friend yeah. gets into something and they just kind of like hype it up and like get everybody into it in the group so he he was that guy for us with Star Wars so he effectively like made me and made us rewatch the movies because we'd all randomly seen it but like as a group of friends we then actually went through <clears throat> and watched all the movies again in order And, you know, he was all like, you got to understand the larger world, understand all of the dynamics around all the different things and how Palpatine became the emperor and like the whole thing, like, you know. So he got us into that and um, he was getting the magazines and, you know, it was back before the internet yep. was super huge, right? So you'd get magazines with like all of the pictures from the new episode one filming and the casting. So, you know, it was funny as because now 
we get that on Twitter. Yeah. Every time there's an announcement. I you bought know. newspapers just because there were uh, photos of, of Star Wars in it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was it was huge leading up to it. He had all of the magazines, so we'd seen like all the stills and the pictures from the, from the filming. And it was such a curated, controlled way to receive information about it. Because now you're like getting back of set photos and you're getting leaks and stuff. So, you know, that was super fun. Um, just going through that experience and that journey of getting ready for the new movie because we were super hyped. So we got tickets for the midnight opening of episode one. You were on um, a midnight opening? Yeah. I mean, Amazing. And in Australia too. So we were like the first, probably the first ones to see it when it went to... I don't know if it was a day and date release globally, but yeah, I mean, we, we went um, midnight to watch it We had our tickets. I remember it was the most, it was an awesome experience. Just the anticipation in the crowd, because the people who went to the midnight showing were fans, yeah. right? And so people had dressed up. And so like people showed up to this to the showing. So I, I was in um, Sydney City. I can't re remember uh, which cinema it was. But the one next to us, halfway through the film, the projector caught on fire. And... <laughs> and uh, they had to evacuate that session, like that cinema. But ours was fine. But when, when we walked out, there were a lot of angry people whose projector <laughs> caught on fire. So they were not happy. And then before the movie went, because all these people were in cosplay, so you, there was no designated seating. Yep. So you just kind of like lined up and then you kind of ran to the seat that you wanted. Yep. <laughs> like people were like jumping over seats to get to the good spots. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was all very civil. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, a little insane. bit chaotic. A little, little bit insane. Um, And then as we were waiting for the movie to start, um, people in cosplay, like one guy dressed as Obi-Wan or a Jedi and one guy dressed as Darth Vader, kind of walked down the two aisles of the cinema. Uh, and then in the front of the stage, they had a mock lightsaber fight. It was brilliant. It was like so awesome. cool. And I was like, you know, we were teenagers, so we were like, this is, this, this is the coolest, you know, just being a part of this event was great. And then the movie started, and then, you know, the, the words started going up the screen. Like, the lights go down, the words start going up the screen, and, like, everyone was just, I'm sure people were just, I want to say jizzing their pants at that stage. Yeah. Because that was, that, that was the height of, that was like, you know, it's like, it can only go downhill from here. From there. Because But it's the perfect metaphor, because we were <laughs> wanking off until the moment we saw the, <laughs> we saw the intro screen. I know, right? You were just, you were just, you were just waiting at yep. that stage. Um And, you know, it's that special moment, which is, like, my favorite mo moment of going to the movies. is like, when the lights go dark, so it's after the trailers, and you get the first title card for the movie you're, you're about to watch. And, you know, all right, it's on, right? And for Star Wars, it's always been that really cool. Like, you get the fox, and then the, the uh, I think, the, then you get the Lucas logo. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, the, the horn section starts of the Star Wars theme, and you get a long time ago, a far, far away, as the writing goes up. And everyone just lost it, like, seriously. I don't think it got quiet again until halfway through, this, like, the background story, because people were, like, cheering and whooping and clapping, and it was just really cool, really awesome. Um, then the movie happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <you know>? Yep. <laughs> uh, Everybody was people, having a cigarette. After the great sex <laughs> intro. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that, it's like that line out of, um, there's like a 20-somethings movie from the, from the 90s where they talk about how bad sex is like bad pizza. 
Yeah. Even even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. You know? <laughs> I can't I can't remember what the movie is. But anyway, because I remember walking out of the cinema thinking, I don't quite know what to think at this stage. <laughs> you know? It was very. I enjoyed it, but it was so different to what it was supposed to be that I don't know. Like, it wasn't the Star Wars that I knew. Yeah. It was, but it was so different. Again, like the vision of it was so different. Um, so much larger, so much more complicated as well. Like, even as a teenager, like even thinking about, like you've got the Trade Federation and you've got like the Republic. And then, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a trade embargo on Naboo. I'm like, the politics of it was just so dense, yeah. you know? I'm like, you could watch the first... Like, we just talked about episode one. As a six-year-old, you know, maybe the most confusing thing to me was who was Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> but overall, I understood what was happening, you know? I think, you know, for the, for the most part. With this one, I was a little bit confused about what was happening, except for the Jedi and the Sith. Yeah. Like... And so the things that stood out for me the first time I watched it was, you know, the action was so much better. The lightsaber fights were so much cooler. Darth Maul versus Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi were just so great as set pieces. But the rest of it just felt really slow and clodding along, you know, like it was really, um, really dense to try to get through. It's like trying to walk through jelly or something. Yeah. But visually, it was obviously stunning, but it all was also visually so different to what I was expecting from the kind of industrial, dirt under your fingernails, grease in the machine Star Wars, because everything was so clean and like the Naboo ship, you know, Amidala's ship was the super reflective. Yeah, it was a mirror in space. Yeah, it was an SR-71, you know, it was like, it looked beautiful, but I'm like, "Eh, it doesn't fit in with everything else that I've seen, you know, so it was interesting. Um... I remember other Star Wars fans, so people who were much older than me, um, who had watched the original trilogy, so they were clearly like, you know, um, first generation Star Wars watchers. And they were kind of saying to each other after the movie, like, you couldn't want anything more than that. And I was thinking, that almost sounds like he's telling himself that. Yeah. You know, because he was saying that to his friends, but I was like, you know, you really could, you know, you really could ask for a little bit more, a little bit better. Um, But... It was still like I was still caught up in in the in the moment um, because because it was so different because it was so uh, dense. There was a lot to unpack, and then over the next couple of weeks, probably years, we were still unpacking it. You know, yeah. we were still thinking about like, okay, so what does this all mean for that larger universe, and how does it all fit together, and where's it going to go from here? From like here, the story yeah. of the story of Anakin and all of that. So. Yeah, so that was my view on the uh, on the prequels and my first experience with the prequel. I had a very similar experience. I didn't see it in a in a midnight showing, but I went. Uh, I went. It must have been in in Carinthia, not even in 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 Vienna. With my with my first girlfriend, and we had the, they had the, right. this great cinema with balcony seats, and yeah. you know the movie came on. I was excited. And afterwards, I I had I shared the same feeling with a lot of people, and then your group with there was Star Wars I I was watching just now, mm-hmm. and I watched it again the the next day. Yeah, and came <laughs> out and thought, no, I, I I don't like this movie. I have to find uh, apologies for it, uh, right? Because everybody was was uh, so psyched, and even the the, the professional re- reviews were very uh, favorable back then. 
it was mm-hmm. only the internet that that talked smack and even my girlfriend at the time uh told me she didn't like it but didn't want to say every anything because i seemed so psyched about it right yeah <laughs> it's essentially the same experience w- what will come next it doesn't it it didn't feel like it still doesn't feel like uh like star wars even though the classic movies are only available in an in an upgraded form or yeah yeah it it's it still f- all all three movies feel out of of place yeah i mean as a trilogy that stands alone i think they work together yeah how they fit into the larger tapestry of star wars yeah li- little bit to be desired there yeah. and i think with so we you know we're going to get into rogue one and stuff but the connection between the first like episode 1 2 and 3 and then 4 5 and 6 uh, the, it's just the characters because visually and just sort of like how it all came together is still a little bit um, disjointed yeah. when you look at it. But that's where I think you get Star Wars Rebels and potentially these new movies now filling in that gap to kind of almost help bridge that transition because it's so different. Yeah, to make it easier. There's probably so much of uh, material that you can mine to help make those connections yeah. between the yeah. two series, you know, because they they kind of do stand aside as two different series, don't they? Yeah, and even um, Clone Wars is really helping um, justifying the way Anakin and, and Obi-Wan are handled in Episode 3. Mm-hmm. Because you uh, during the course of the show, you see how Anakin grows uh, distant from the, from the ideals of the, of the Republic and how Palpatine drives, uh, separates Obi-Wan, yeah. Obi-Wan uh, and him. And that's right. sad that they didn't get this into the movies. Well, yeah, they had yeah. so much to cover. I mean, that last movie, uh, episode three, it just moves pretty fast yeah. in terms of like how Anakin's changed to, to the dark side. And and if you're not if you're not familiar with all of the material in Clone Wars, yeah, then it feels a little bit like just bad storytelling. Yeah, because how 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 does he get that? You know, how does he go that far so quickly? Uh, because we don't get all of that background and context of what's been happening before that. So yeah. in between episode two and three, three, yeah. Yeah, and even the whole thing with Palpatine being uh, Darth Sidious, being mm-hmm. played as this mystery thing, instead yeah. of of just uh, playing it straight from the beginning. Yeah, that, as in like him being Darth Sidious from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah, sh- show uh, showing him. Uh, I mean, you have to do it for for the new for a new audience. Yeah, I guess. But we, because because now we we're, we're having that same conversation now, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who is the big guy in the chair? You know, <laughs> we're still asking that question. So that's a part of the mystery of the show, which makes it interesting to watch and talk about. Because you can talk about that with people who don't know or who are sort of like new into Star Wars to say like, oh, but did you realize that this guy is that guy and could be that guy? And, you know, it, it kind of, it's like what we love about Game of Thrones is like you, you talk about all of the relationships and all of the like back dealings. And, yeah. Uh, it adds it's. You know, to to make random leaps in my mind here, it's what makes the Flash much more interesting to watch than Arrow on on TV at the yeah. moment, because Flash always has a mystery around like who is the guy in the black suit or who is Zoom, you know. Whereas, and so you spend a lot of time like looking for clues and trying to trying to solve that mystery when you're watching the show, which makes it enjoyable. Whereas Arrow is kind of very straight. There's no real mystery around a lot of what's going on. So it's, it's just kind of like, let's just see how it ends. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, that, that's a part of the audience participation. You know, you get to be a part of the problem solving and 
yeah, you, you get the the pat on the back, so to say, if you if you're right with your the, with your theory. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it's like <laughs> the end of the last season of Game of Thrones when we finally got the reveal on Jon Snow. You're like, ah, I knew it. You know, you, you get to feel. You know, it gives you a bit of a dopamine hit. It's like you achieved something. <laughs> But that's, uh, you know, uh, every every every. Every Star Wars fan uh, knew that Palpatine would end up as the as the Emperor. No, w was that established from the beginning? Like, I pretty much knew. I I don't know. Maybe it's my super Star Wars geek friend. Uh, maybe it was his influence, and maybe it was his theory that we all just took as canon. But I always thought, like, even from the beginning, that Palpatine was going to end up becoming Sidious. Well, I, I knew it from, from the books and uh, my little uh, bubble of people okay. back then, the, the Star Wars geeks. That's that, probably where I got it from too. Though. Yeah, that's uh, Palpatine uh, is Sidious. Yeah. And, you know, Ian McDormand, I think that's the name of the actor, he looked pretty much the same in the, oh, in the 90s the movie, when he had right? the hood on. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they did a really good job with the makeup there because that dude didn't age at all. Like, he <laughs> looked exactly the same. <laughs> no, it's cool. So, overall, in the prequels, I think, you know, um, I had a friend um, whose wife had never seen Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and so they watched it. And they watched it um, episode one, like in order. What, so, one, two, three, four, five, six, effectively. And um, she really enjoyed them. So, I think, you know, if you're just looking at the story, if you're just looking at the the story of what happened it works but I think in terms of the thing that a lot of Star Wars fans missed was just the expectation and how yeah. different it was but at the same time you know when we start talking about episode 7 one of the things you have to uh, give Lucas credit for is the fact that he did have vision and he did have um, courage I guess to do something different to give us something in that universe that was not what we'd seen before. Yep. Now, that always comes with a piece of... Well, it, it always comes with risk, right? Yeah. Uh, because people are clearly <laughs> going to not like it sometimes. And some people will will like it, but you're gonna, there's potential for that backlash. But at least we can, you know... He opened up our minds yes. to what it could be as well as what it was. So... That's at least something. And you have to give him uh, credit for the prequels working very well with kids as an as an introduction to the to the series. But the one thing we can't forgive him for is Jar Jar Binks. Because that should never have happened. And yeah. that's the reason why I don't watch episode one. <laughs> Or episode two, really. But episode three, I don't mind watching. <laughs> so. Yeah, because this was... There's no Jar Jar, right? But there's this theory out there that Jar Jar was the was one of the the evil forces behind even behind Sidious. The only thing that could redeem Jar Jar, Jar Jar, is if he is the master Sith Lord behind everything. I think. Yeah. There's no other reason for him to be around because he's just comic relief, and he's the most ridiculous comic relief as well. Like. If if the really if the theory is right and they and 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 Lucas pulled Jar Jar's part back due to the backlash, I guess we would have gotten a different a different set of prequels, perhaps um, a, more, a more pleasant experience. 
Yeah. I mean, look, I think um, Jar Jar was put in, I mean, if you watch the movie as a vehicle to sell toys yeah. and to appeal to children, then the pod race, for example, was clearly just about selling toys and yeah. video games. Yeah. And Jar Jar was just in there because there was all this dense material about like the Trade Federation and like the blockade and all those various powers can, you know, politicking around in the story. Jar Jar was there, I'm sure, just to make kids have something to kind of, you know, keep their attention. Yeah. Um, and so he was just effectively, literally comic relief, but such a such a poor execution of comic relief that it was just sad. He would have worked great if they'd used him like uh, 3PO and R2-D2 uh, as... To relate as a relatable character through which we experience uh, the story, like yeah. in like in Episode Four. Well, that's what you know. Three PO was like to a large extent. Yeah. You know, in the first in the first series, he he was the he was the funny one doing a lot of like slapstick comedy. Yeah. You know, he's always getting his arm lost and stuff like <laughs> that. So you know, or as you know, his body completely dismembered in various places. Be- became uh, the god emperor of. Space bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 3PO was like, he's pretty funny. R- R2 is kind of like the straight man. Yeah. You know, so they're like a comedy duo. So you've got 3PO who's like the, the funny one and R2 who plays the, the straight man in the duo. Uh, but yeah, Jar Jar was just stupid. I don't know. Yeah. It's no, no, no redeeming factors there unless he's going to be key. The ultimate darkness in Sith Lord of the Universe. Yeah. I'm so sorry for the actor who played him. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that guy ever walked worked again. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I have um, to look that up, but you know, being the source of so much anger or, or the, the the target yeah. of so much anger. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember his name, but I do um, remember that he, um, you know, he still he still stands up for Jar Jar as a character, and and he should cool. because yeah, you know, I mean, he did his job. Yeah, you can respect him for that, you know. So unfortunately, it's a character everyone hates, yeah. but at least he can he can still represent, you know. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, what about the expanded universe then? So I know that you're much deeper into the expanded universe than I am. So you want to do a definition first of what the expanded universe is, because that's all changed now as well, right? Right. The, uh, the expanded universe is now called the Legacy Universe, and it's a series of. of comics uh, and and books centered around the main characters other characters um the events before the 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 trilogy like the origin of the of the jedi knights there was a comic about that uh as well yeah and all all the things that were um created for for this expanded universe which lucas still oversaw uh and and um was canon until 2015 i guess or 2014, mm-hmm. got scrapped uh, with right. the selling of Lucasfilm. Yeah, because Disney bought Lucasfilm yeah. in the Star Wars property, right? Yeah. And then they had a kind of writers, or they just had like a a summit where they decided what was in canon and what was out. Yeah. Right? And they're, they're, they're still, you know, they're still adding things to canon now since the establishing of of, of, uh, of the new timeline, all the, the comics, books, and... Mm-hmm. Even the the color, the coloring books and stuff uh, is canon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh wow. Well, you, so like everything now fits in with the overall story. With the overall right? story, yeah. yeah. And so that means like, um, so Clone Wars is uh, is obviously a part of that, and so is Star yeah. Wars Rebels. Yeah. And so they're they're now like officially a part of the overall world that exists there. 
uh, Clone Wars was an official part before that, and it's I guess it's the only thing from the yeah it's the, the o- legacy yeah it's yeah. the only thing from the legacy apart from from episodes one to three that were kept right in the in the timeline. And yeah, there were some 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 great things like uh, Timothy Thans, Sans uh, trilogy of books that introduced Admiral Thrawn. Ah, yes. Which is which, uh, which is what I was going to get into is that now what we're starting to see is that characters and kind of potentially even storylines from the from that legacy canon is now finding its way into the new canon. Yeah. Right. So Admiral Thrawn is going to show up in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's super excited, but they that, yeah. don't know what changes they've made to the character yeah. between the two. But I guess they, uh, from, from what I've seen, uh, they've kept him pretty much in sync mm-hmm. uh, with, with his original uh, depiction right. uh, of, of his character. He's still uh, a very strategic acting person and the only alien that uh, climbed the ranks of the, of the Empire. So even in the old legacy, did he exist in um, like the the timeline of Star Wars Rebels? So in between episode three and four, or uh, was he, he in a he different sh- timeline? He should have, but I'm not sure if he if he was already uh, an an admiral back an then. Admiral, okay. But he okay. he pretty much uh, became one of the the focal points of the the, the Imperial remnants to to gather to gather around and right. try to take. Back uh, as as much of the ter- territory and, and might that they can to restore the empire the, yeah, to its former glory. glory. Never so yeah, so I'm not familiar with Admiral Throne like to that extent because I didn't read the um, the books, but just from the trailer for the next season of Star Wars Rebels, it looks really cool. Yeah. Like this is a character that comes is coming in really meaning business. Yeah. So and I'm interested to see like so so as well as all of the. The, the temptation to the dark side for Ezra. <laughs> um, I want to. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how how Admiral Thrawn pl- plays into all of that as well. So because because this is just as like the rebellion is starting to really coalesce yeah. now. They're really starting to come together, and so this is you know as, as they become more powerful, the Empire will fight back harder as well, and so that's why we're bringing in Thrawn. And it'll it'll be interesting in um, how he'll he'll. He'll use the the rebels for for the empire because he's he knows enough of the art of war to be aware that he can use the weight of his enemy uh, against his enemy his literal enemy and his enemies in his own ranks. All right. Okay. Perhaps they'll they'll factor in that as well. Because that's I mean that's that's the key to the character and what makes him so popular, yeah. right? So as as well as being an alien and as well as having a um, very unique kind of look just like Vader does he um he's all about the strategy and the tactics and the politics of what he's doing yeah so he's he's got some specific set of he's got he's, <laughs> he's the um I have a he's specific the, he's, set of I was gonna say he's the Liam Neeson of the empire of of of, of the empire hierarchy and that he's got a very specific set of skills which everyone's like oh no he's gonna use that in Star Wars Rebels <laughs> you know? I will find you and I will I don't know. What does the Empire do? <laughs> Assimilate you. Yeah, <laughs> kill you. <laughs> kill you, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a Liam Neeson line. I don't want to use that. Anyway. Cool. So, what do you, like, so what's your thing that you miss the most out of the expanded universe? So, you know, because now all of that is no longer canon. What do you wish was canon? Again. We, we're past that point, but there was a comic book called 
it wasn't it wasn't Shadow of the Empire, the Dark Empire trilogy, and the f it was uh, three books that were collected under that title, and in the first book, uh, the uh, a clone of the Emperor activates uh, world killing machines, and Luke actually becomes the the disciple of of Palpatine, so right. he can uh, try to to bring him down from within. And it's this real idea that Palpatine has all these clone bodies uh, lying around. Oh, okay. And it's just waiting for, for Luke to become indoctrinated in all, enough in the dark side so he can take over his body. Oh, right. So, wait, are these actual clones of Palpatine? Yeah. Or is Palpatine just body-snatching other people? No, no it's, it's, uh, they are actual clones, but he plans to possess Luke right. when, when, when the time's right. And is that... Um Is that something the dark side of the force can do? Yeah. Like, is that something he's going to use the dark side for? Yeah, wow. he uses, uh, you know, technology and the dark side to do that, to keep himself wow. alive. And that, that was such a great story because I, I read it when I was like uh, 10 or 11. And it mm -hmm. had this, the, the, the artwork of the comic book isn't, uh, it's, 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 I, I don't know who, who drew it, but it's uh, watercolors mostly. So it has this, this dream-like quality. It's like a, a Star Wars nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> to some extent. So it's yeah, it's, so it's almost like an Elseworlds kind of uh, kind of story because it's kind of parallel to what's happening, but it's in a twisted version. Yeah, of that and, and and Luke uh, has these big bags under his eyes. He looks he looks tired and uh, and and hungry, uh, so to say. Yeah, it's oh, it still gives me gives me the shivers. But sure. I, I had to th and I had to throw the the copy of the comic away because I've oh. I've read it to death. The, the really? So you, you no longer have it? No, no. <laughs> it, it, it came apart and I, I glued it back to back together as, as, as well as I could, but it has been missing pages. So I got the, ah. the, the hardcover version that has oh, been nice. put well, out. Oh, nice. At least you do have a version, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's sad because my grandfather bought, bought it for me. and it's The original. Yeah, and it cost like 10, 15 bucks. Yeah. Oh, no, no uh, less than 10 bucks. It, it, it was expensive for, for pocket for money. For a copy, yeah. for a comic, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was those. very expensive, and I really yeah. had to persuade my grandfather to to buy it. Now, was this the VHS grandfather or the Betamax? The VHS grandfather. The, the Betamax right, grandfather cool. was dead at that point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you know, my VHS grandpa was the one who always got me the the neat stuff that my yeah. parents said no to. <laughs> All right, cool. So yeah, um, I haven't actually gotten to too much of the expanded universe, so. Um, I've read some stories just when I was in high school with yeah. my friend who was the massive fan because he was like, you got to read this book. <laughs> so I would be like, okay, I'll read it. Get off my back. But I can't really remember them or how they fit into the overall universe. So, yeah, so I guess I'm going to put that as a no for me. <laughs> it's like there's, there's no all, specific there's a, things. There was say. a Han Solo trilogy of books that was very yeah. good and got me phenomenal grades at school. Because, really? Yeah, I always reviewed that book as a, as a project. <laughs> That was your book report. Yeah. It was amazing. And there's a, a Kenobi book that that's, uh, has been released shortly before they scrapped the whole expanded universe. And that's great as well because it right. could still be canon. It's a, a good Kenobi story. Okay. Because, I mean, obviously, so, so that's set in the existing set of trilogies that we have yeah. now, right? So Kenobi exists. Cool. What was the name of that one? It's Kenobi, uh, Kenobi. It's called Kenobi. It's just called Kenobi? Yeah. Okay. It's a really neat book. I was really there's, there's the tip. So that's something from the legacy universe that is not officially canon, but could be. It could be. Yeah, still. Yeah. I think it's it's still it still holds up because it shows us uh, 
you know, uh, a glimpse of how he how he deals with with the um, what's it called <laughs> when you when you set yourself apart from <laughs> when you go into hiding. The exile. The exile. Thank you. Yeah, with the asteroids in exile. Yeah, good thing I know my English. <laughs> yeah, it really deals with the psychological issues to some degree that Obi Wan is facing in the desert in his yeah. exile. <laughs> cool. Ah, right, because he's just stuck on um... Tatooine. Yeah, stuck on Tatooine in in, in, in the hills yeah. with all these moisture farmers and, around him. You know, uh, <laughs> Luke's just a a baby or or a little kid. He can't he can't do too much and just. You know, take care. Just be watchful. Yeah. yeah. Can't really interact with anybody because he'll give himself away. Right. Yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. All right, so that's just called Kenobi. Might be good to look into. Yeah, it's great. And it's a fast read. Like right. 300 pages. Because I just finished World War Z, so I'm looking for another ah, book. for another. Just side point, World War Z was awesome <laughs> as a book. All right, so talking about now the sale of uh, Star Wars to Disney and getting it away from George Lucas. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So, you know, George, did George Lucas mess it up? Do we like the fact that Star Wars is no longer with him in his own hands? Does he have the right to mess it up as a creator? What do you think? He has the right to mess it up. It's, it's his baby. Yeah. I deeply believe in that. But, you know, with Star Wars becoming so large and this cultural phenomenon, we're not entitled to... Cr- criticize him how should I put it we don't get to call him an asshole for doing so mm-hmm. because you know it's still it, it was still his property but it would be yeah. nice if he had more respect for his younger self's work also for for the things he perceived as mistakes or just were technical barriers that couldn't have been breached at the time that they were mm-hmm. uh, they were created that, that's my take yeah. on it. And, you know, he gained a lot of money from, from Disney. <laughs> so I guess it's, it's still like selling, selling a limp or, or a kid in this case. But I guess a kid. <laughs> it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I don't know who put it that way, but it was like getting your child uh, taken away by child services and the new family driving by your house and showing, showing you the progress and, and how awesome the child has become in your yeah. absence. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can appreciate that point of view. It's that bigger question, right, of who does, who does it belong to? Yeah. And it's a weird one because it's whenever you have a piece of art that you create, right, and I mean, there may be an argument about whether it's art or not, but effectively it's a creation and it's yeah. being put out there just like, you know, Picasso put out his paintings or um, Michelangelo put out his statues and um, any musician puts out their music. Once it's out there, who does it belong to, right? Um, because everyone who watches it, everyone who sees it or hears it has is going to imprint their, their own expectations, experiences, and perspectives onto it. And it's going to become something that's slightly different from what the artist originally intended. And I think where we are now... So this is that this is actually ties into that larger discussion around fandoms that we're, that, that, that's happening at the moment. Like, is fandom broken? You know? So if you look at what's happening with the DC movies, yeah, where content is being put out so irrespective of the critical acclaim of that content but you know these these works are being put out and then the fandoms are just just going crazy either you know 
liking them or disliking them. Yeah. But what is the responsibility of the artist to the fandom? You know, should they pander to everything the fandom expects? Or should is it the artist's responsibility to actually challenge, I mean, the fandom, but like the audience, yeah. to give them something that they need or that, that, that the artist wants them to hear or needs them to hear, yeah. right? Or, or, or see. So, you know, it's like, to me, it's almost like the same as, you know, when you get a band and you really are into them and they have their first album and you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then the second album comes out and you're like, ah, it's so different to the first album Uh, because the band itself has grown in that time. You know, the first album was when they weren't famous, when they weren't going on tour and making all this money. And then they do and they change. And so their next album is a reflection of that change in the artist itself. Right. Yeah. And so. With, with with Lucas, it's a little bit of column A and a column B, right? Yeah. So I think for the first series, obviously he had this grand vision. And obviously, um, you know, in terms of production quality, it was great. But there was also so much more he wanted to do, which he couldn't. Which is why he went back and changed and messed up to, <laughs> to a lot of people's perspectives. The first trilogy, because he said, oh, I want to put AT-ATs in the background of every scene. You know, <laughs> because that's what was supposed to happen. But he couldn't do that in 77 and in the 80s when um, that trilogy came out. So he, he went back and did it retroactively. Kind of like, you know, this is, this is my vision. This is how I actually wanted it to look. But I couldn't do it back then. So I'm going to go in now and fix it and add the things I, I, I couldn't have for that original vision. But then, again, you know, that is going to piss off all of the people who had, who had al- already internalized it and made it their, their own. So, I mean, <laughs> so what's my point? in all of that is that should he be able to do that i think yes he should be able to do that however when a piece of work has been out there for long enough i think it does create a life of its own yep. uh, and an identity of its own and so like to your analogy when the kid reaches a certain age or a certain level of maturity then i think it no longer belongs to the artist and it should be just be left alone because anything the artist does after that is going to effectively deface or disfigure because I you know has there been an example of a movie or I mean probably not a piece of music but I'm pretty sure it would never happen with a painting where the artist has come back like 20 years later and said you know what I wanted to change this bit and everyone was like oh now it's so much better you know has there ever been an example of that I don't I don't don't think so I'm not aware of any any example of that I can't. The, the closest I, I can get from an analogy point of view or a metaphor is maybe doing cover songs, you know? Yeah. So you can still look like Hendrix did his cover of All Along the Watchtower, but people still love the original All, All Along the Watchtower. They just love the Hendrix version yeah. maybe is much more popular and much more um, um, widely known, right? Yeah. Because the, the Hendrix version took it to the next level. But uh, with a movie, I think... Unless you're going to completely reboot the movie, I and mean, even in in those cases, most of the time it's a it's a failure. Just leave it alone. You know, if it's a book or a movie, just leave it alone. You can have supplemental material. So, so I think it was fine if you just left the theatrical release of uh, episodes four, five, and six as they were, and then did one, two, and three. Yeah. Because you know, having those additional ATATs in the background doesn't really make all that much of a difference. No. So I think you know he's entitled to do one, two, and three the way he wants to do them because they're they're additional to that original creation that he made but i think just leave the original creation alone yeah so that's my view on it so and some of the changes really um they impact the the feeling of certain characters like when 
Greedo shoots first, it takes oh. away Han's unpredictability. The the the, ten the tension that that one feels because oh our heroes are going on this guy's spaceship and he just he, he shot a dude in, in cold blood so to say for personal protection yeah but under a table you know in the dirtiest of manners got rid of a yeah. problem <laughs> I know I mean I agree with you there and the whole you know Han shot first argument I don't think Han you know I don't want the hero uh, well. I wouldn't trust a guy who just kills someone. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't jump into his spaceship. So that's just me. The, the other point of that too is, you know, it, it can, you can also, the flip side of the argument is it builds dramatic tension because they don't know that Han shot this dude, right? I don't know that. No, it's only, yeah. I think the... So they don't know, but the audience knows. Yeah. So the audience knows something that the, that the other characters don't. And so that's dramatic tension. It's like... <gasps> They're getting on his spaceship. This guy's a psychopath. You know, <laughs> he just killed someone. He's a murderer. And so, but they didn't really play it out because that's not the character that Han was. Because in the end of the day, they kind of did make him like the swashbuckling kind of hero. Yeah, so. but you know, as a, as, a, as a six or eight year old, it, it surely had an impact on me because I thought, oh, that, that dude's on, on the side of the angels. I mean, he just shot mm -hmm. somebody from under a table and he, he hasn't been th threatened in, in the classic way by being shot at. And I, I see Lucas. Uh, I see the point Lucas wants to make by uh, altering the scene to make it uh, more obvious. Obvious, Wait. yeah. But yeah. you know, a, as a kid, I, I can't because he was not a more. Uh, he wasn't morally clear cut. Yeah, Greedo shooting first takes away from from that experience. Right. Yeah, it's the whole yeah. George Lucas raped my childhood argument but you know it, it really had an an impact on me yeah i mean i i i agree with you in that stage i i generally don't i like my heroes to be clean yeah. i don't like them to have shades of gray especially as a child i think that you know that's kind of what i liked now i'm obviously a lot more um interested in complex characters and you know but that's why even like the new the ben affleck batman is you know more interesting to me yeah, um now than just a batman that is well batman's always been dark but that's why superman's kind of boring because you kind of know what superman's gonna Good, do yeah, yeah. whereas batman's always been weird i was just r randomly watching young justice the other day and the batman he, even in young justice is not all that nice nope i mean he's he's obviously a good guy but he's so ruthless sometimes uh, just in his approach and his relationship with the younger set of kids who need mentoring and, and like support and supervision. He really puts <laughs> them through like, the paces. Yeah, you're like, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I, I just watched um, just randomly the episode that was, um, I think it was called, um, that they were all taking some time off. I can't remember what, I think it was like episode eight of season one or something. Yeah. So Aqualad goes back to Atlantis. Yeah, and yeah. Robin goes back home and um, he's all pissed off because Batman asked to talk to Aqualad alone yeah. and told Robin effectively to go away. So Robin was feeling all like rejected by Batman. So he was just like super frustrated, very teenage emo while he's doing his workout. And Bruce is like, this was all so creepy. Bruce and Alfred were oh, like, watching him on the, watching on the computer, him yeah. and noticing how frustrated he was. And I'm like, wait, why are they watching him? You know, they should have shown an alarm going off when when Robin punches Punch the, the wall, wall yeah. or something to say that there's you know there's you know there's damage in the, in the in the gym. You know, go see what's going on. But yeah, they're randomly just sitting there watching him work out. The next scene is was the next scene was really cool because that's like the parts of Young Justice that I really liked was when 
Alfred goes downstairs to the gym and tells tells Robin, Bruce needs to see you upstairs or something. And so he went when Robin goes upstairs and walks out, Batman's waiting there with a basketball and he's like, you know, it's time for training. And then yeah. Robin's like, what training? He's like, hand eye coordination. And it's effectively like a father son moment. And that was like just a really cool way to resolve that whole tension between them. Yeah, but if you think about it, is Bruce doing this? Because I've watched it recently as well. And I thought, oh man, it's it's a, a great father-son moment. But then did Bruce do it with fatherly intentions or as his teacher? Is it just the means to get... To so is it literally hand-eye coordination? Yeah, is it hand-eye <laughs> coordination? Is he just trying to, to, to get Robin in the in the mood or, or on a certain on a certain emotional level because you're right. never sure with bruce yeah well you know that's it's a fair point it's a fair question i like to think yeah that me was too. about a sun moment because it's, it's so well played out <laughs> it's and, it, and it's because yeah Br bruce himself is a bit emotionally distant right yeah. so it's a great way to do that scene or to sort of have that relationship with robin or with dick grayson without making it too schmaltzy, yeah. without making it too kind of like, you know, midday TV special, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, because Robin is like, because the other point about it, like the effect that it had on Robin as the character in that scene was he, he immediately softens up yeah. and gets re relieved. And he's, and then like, as they sort of start playing basketball, he does the classic Robin laugh, you know, yeah. which is like, which was so cool. Um, so I, I really enjoy that. And then there's really cool scenes in Young Justice as well, just with Superman and Superboy, you know, because Superman is also so emotionally distant. What is with these emotionally distant characters? Yeah, but, but if you meet Superman your clone... Yeah, I know, but like Superman can't deal with the fact that he's got this clone of himself running around, right? And Batman's all like, dude, you need to, you need yeah. to sort this out, you know? The scene of the anyway. diner is especially great. Yeah. I love that. We need to talk about the boy. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that pie to go. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, that's a nice, that's a nice little um, segue. Yeah. Uh, not so much segue, but like sidetrack into Young Justice. It's so a great series that should be watched because oh, Young Justice. Apparently, awesome. so, if you watch the shit out of it on Netflix, we get season three. I know that's that, that's why I've come back to like randomly watching it yeah. because I want to get the viewage, the viewer numbers up on Young Justice. So hopefully they can. Return with the season. Yeah, it's not on Austrian I don't know. Netflix, but I bought the Blu-rays for a ridiculous price. Really? Yeah. And I have to <laughs> thank to my parents officially because they essentially made, they paved the way for me to, to get those Blu-rays at ridiculous prices. Oh, really? Yeah. So thank you to my creators. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you should, the you maker. Make, yeah. Thank the makers. To yeah, stay in sure. Star Wars lingo. <laughs> All right, so back to Star Wars then. Yeah. So episode, so we've talked about George Lucas, right? So yeah, uh, can I add one thing? Uh -huh. There is a rumor out there that he made the changes to origin to the original th trilogy because his wife owns part of those movies in in the original form that they were presented at, at the cinema. So he had to make the changes to keep ownership. Oh, really? Is that a substantiated theory, or is that just a fan? I've, or is that like a conspiracy? I've theory? heard it many times. Right. And yeah, uh, Fox is still holding rights over episode four. Wow. I think they have lifetime rights or something like that. Right. To, to do that. Interesting. So that could be the reason also. So we should, fa if that's the case, then we should thank him that he made the changes. So it, it, it stayed with Lucasfilm and not with some other company that it, his wife could have set up. 
Right. So that was the only way. Yeah. So because then otherwise they could never have sold it. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. But perhaps his wife is one of the, or his ex-wife in this case is one of the sweetest persons, and it would have been the the best thing that sh she got uh, a, a veto. Uh, yeah, but we it. are the fans, and we're obviously more important than anyone else. Oh uh, yeah, so, you know. yeah. <laughs> Screw you, Miss Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the creators. It's all about the fans. They should give us exactly what we what want. We want we'll yeah. complain if we don't get it. And now. Which is brings us to episode seven, oh, yeah. right? Because episode one, two, and three, we got this vision of something that was so different. And then episode seven gave us exactly what we'd seen already, to a large extent. But in a better way. Or in a yeah, good way. You can say, I mean, you know, you can argue in a better way. But, you know, that's a part of the thing that I think that we lost. We don't... So, with the sale to Disney now, uh, Lucasfilm doesn't have... Uh, Captain, so George Lucas previously, with a vision that will challenge us for where this universe is going to go. Because Disney is always going to play it safe. And they're always going to give us exactly what the demographics and the focus groups tell them we want to see. So to a large extent, it's really, I think, you know, as we go forward, um, I don't see, I don't see a sense of wonder as much as we did with the first set of like episodes one, two, and three. Yeah. Because one, two, and three, as much, you know, if as movies by themselves, they were, I mean, they were, they're obviously not perfect, but from a vision and visual point of view, in terms of like expanding out the universe and like really building out that world, it was really good. Yeah. You know, it really set that scene. Whereas from a technical standpoint, uh, yeah. Lucas was innovating uh, again. Because, yeah, because that was like was filmed digitally, right? Yeah, and there's this yeah. there's the documentary where everybody calls him crazy because he just walks through he walks through the through the uh, the thumbnails of the that has been have been made uh, according to the screenplay and he, the storyboard. Yeah, yeah, the story. Thank you, the storyboards. And he goes in there with a green marker and the yellow marker, and the green marker is practical. The like yellow is digital, and yeah. everything's yellow. And the guy <laughs> standing behind uh, uh, looking at each other like. What the fuck? How are we going to do this? Have they invented computers that can handle this this load? Yet? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I will invent industrial light and magic. Yeah. It'll take care of it. <laughs> Let there be. Well, well, you know, we we magic. should probably take a pause just to sort of just to sort of thank even Star Wars for industrial light and magic yeah. existing. So industrial light and magic is the special effects house that does the Star Wars movies. Or you know, do they do the current Star Wars movies? Actually, I'm not sure. I I'm think not sure they're a, a division of of Disney now. Right. Okay. But they've also done a whole bunch of other movies, yeah. like Industrial Light Magic. Like with, I think they did Jurassic Park. They like did they're, they're Jurassic Park, yeah. One of the most influential um, special effects houses, I think, in, yeah. the, um, in the industry. So, and then there's also like Lucas Sound and Lucas Arts for games yeah. and stuff like that. So, All right. So, episode seven, Worthy Return? What do you think? Yes. But <laughs> in a word. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> but not for... I, I, want, I went out of the cinema... And Susie asked me how I liked it. Yeah. And out of the blue, I told her uh, if I was 10 or 20 years younger, I'd like it more. It's, it's definitely Star Wars for new generation. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, I still watch it. I still will watch everything that has Star Wars stamped on it. But there clearly is, at least for me, the gap has been reached where I say four, five and six are, are my movies. Mm -hmm. quote-unquote my movies yep. uh, and everything that will come uh, before and afterwards 
uh, is a nice a nice addition, but I, it's it's not part of my personal canon. I think we had this discussion when episode seven first I came think, out. Yeah. So this might even be like one of the first episodes of the podcast yeah. about episode seven, right? Is that it is effectively introducing this whole thing to a new generation. Genial. So, and that's why they're effectively retelling a lot of that original story. And it's very much, you know, a return to the hero's journey template kind of uh, story of what was happening. I am interested to see how they evolve the universe because I don't think that's going to, that they aren't going to revolutionize the universe like episodes one, two, and three did. It's going to be an evolution of what we've, you know, what what's already established yeah. uh, to be able to tell maybe stories that could relate to the current generation. So as we get into, you know, kind of like the world as it is now and then how the Star Wars, uh, how the Star Wars universe reflects that. Yeah. So, you know, the whole thing around is Poe Dameron gay. Yeah. You know, those are those are kind of, you know, now Star Wars is almost becoming like Star Trek in a sense where it's kind of more a sociological study of what this would look like in that universe yeah, yeah. rather than, you know, you know, in addition to the spectacle of that universe. So, you know, worthy, I think, you know, now we kind of we we made our deal with the devil and now now we should just be happy with what we get. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, like I said, Disney's not really going to do anything that's so crazy that it's going to really blow our minds. I don't think we're just going to go through, it's going to be paint by numbers to a bit, but the numbers, the paint, (laughs) the paint might be slightly different colors, but they'll still be the same shades that we are used to, you know? So I don't know if that analogy makes any sense at all, but yeah, that's what I'm expecting. It's going to be a little bit cookie cutter, but there may be some sprinkles on top, you know, <laughs> but it's not going to be a completely different dessert. Yeah, and that, that'll be the interesting thing about episode eight, because they got Ryan Johnson as the director. And yeah. everybody who knows his filmography knows that he's not your usual uh, director. He's a very creative and a very uh, yeah. zany uh, person. But how much are they going to br- are they going to sort of corral him back? Inside the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there'll because definitely they, be meetings and it's notes. Not, you know, yeah. And I think, you know, so this is like almost the parallel to the discussion about Marvel and DC. Yeah. So Marvel has that overall uniformity to how the movies look and feel. And when you watch it, they've got that brand very firmly established and you know effectively going in what to expect out of a Marvel universe you movie. Yeah. But the DC movies, I mean, they were trying, the whole concept that they were trying to go with was they were going to give their directors a lot more control and a lot more, you know, get these auteur d- directors who could really, really stamp their vision on what this was supposed to be. Yeah. I think Star Wars is, again, being in the house of mouse, being inside Disney, yeah. is, is going to be more about having a very singular, unique look and feel to the brand. And they're not going to let people stray too far away Wait, from that. Probably. So even though they're going to bring in people like Rian Johnson, I don't think it's going to be, um, it's not going to be something that's going to be so out of the, the template that they have to worry about whether it's going to backfire and not hit the mark yeah. to be able to make a billion dollars at the box office. So unfortunately, you know, that's where we, where we found ourselves. So we had, you know, to one extent, we had it both ways. We had Lucas who was just crazy and could do whatever he wanted, right? Ultimate power to make these movies under his vision. And we got that. And now <laughs> everybody complained and everybody was like, that sucks. You ruined it. You ruined my childhood. You know, now we now we just have to be happy with what we get. And I, I think we were saying as well. It's like this is the first time. You know, there's not going to be an end to the Star Wars stories. No, it's just going to go on as end. long as Disney exists. You know, so which goes into a Star Wars story, right? So yeah. Rebel One, 
Uh, glorified fan fiction was the note you put here. So yeah, <laughs> that's the open question. Because I've, as much as I'm looking forward to all those universe expanding movies, I also ask myself, do we need them? Because we, mm-hmm. it's it's has been established that we'll be following the 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 Skywalker saga. Yeah, the Skywalker saga in the in the main movies. And do we need? Anything else? Aren't does Rogue One deserve its own story when it could have been when it was already this great footnote uh, in in not Return of the Jedi but it's Episode Four, A New Hope? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, as I've mentioned earlier, uh, put put the Star Wars logo on a turd, and I'll I'll watch it for hours. Uh, <laughs> But you know, I, I I recently got I got some of the Rogue One action figures, uh-huh. and they look great. But you know, as as I as I fumbled around them and and, and took photos of them and stuff, I I well on on one hand thought, what a great time we live in that I get an action yeah. figure of some Imperial ground crew guy who just waves in Tie Fighters and stuff and and <laughs> picks up the trash in the in the hangar. Wow. It's like Oprah is in charge of their, of their marketing. Yeah. Everybody gets an action figure. You get an action figure. You get an action figure. <laughs> <laughs> the guy taking out the garbage. You get the action, action figure. figure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, I'm not sure if it's, if it's good. As, you, you, as you've mentioned earlier, if something's out in the wild for too long, it gets sort of public property. Mm-hmm. And do we need to plaster everything with our public property that we love so much? Do, do we need the movie about the janitor on the Death Star? It's an interesting one. If, if all of the movies that come out as a part of this a Star Wars story brand look and feel exactly the same, then that would be a disappointment for yeah. me. I think that, you know, even, even looking at... St- so the main arc of what's going to be in the cinema is going to be the Skywalker stories, Right. But that is not the only story happening in this world. And the Skywalker stories, to be fair, you know, they're going to have a certain amount of uh, content. There's going to be a certain... um, We already know kind of what to expect because we know about the hero's journey. It's really going to follow that arc. Um, And you know that at the end of the day, light's kind of going to conquer darkness because that's just what happens in the Star Wars universe, right? I mean, that's the only way the Star Wars universe can can really exist and be meaningful because if the, if the bad guys win, then also at the end of the day, if the bad guys win and the Skywalkers don't have anything to do with it, why did we watch all the other movies? Yeah. Or why, why was this a story worth telling? Right. It's the same with, uh, like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to ruin any other franchises with my, uh, with my speculation. (laughs) Um, but at the same time, right. So when we've got the star Wars story movies, which are standalone, individual stories that are happening in that same universe that's a great opportunity to tell stories that maybe sometimes the good guys don't win yeah right and maybe sometimes things just get so dark and so crazy that they can't tell it in in this you know it's got no place in the larger style in the larger sky skywalker um story arc right um and it could also be something that's happening at the other end of the universe that affects the world as a whole but the, start, the Skywalkers are not involved, right? So I think that's an opportunity where they could get, you know, so we talked about before having uh, kind of like really cool directors with a very specific vision. You know, you get, you know, like almost like you want to get Guillermo del Toro in there to direct a movie about like 
um, just the force, right? The mystical element of the force and a character who's getting lost between the dark side and the light yeah. and do it in a very mystic realism, Guillermo del Toro way in the Star Wars universe. You know, so you just imagine Pan's Labyrinth meets Star Wars, you know, as a standalone story. Yeah. Like that would, that would be something that can add to the tapestry of what Star Wars is without affecting the, the overall Sky, Skywalker line. But yeah. it will give you, a, it'll give you additional dimension to what that world is. Yeah, but if you look at the release slate, we're getting Rogue One and then we get a Han Solo spin-off movie. We're with right. Han Solo. And so, and that's, that's, oh. that's a part of what I don't want to see yeah. at the Star Wars movies where it's just like, all right, we know these characters, we know... Because, you know, again, once you start getting into that, you already know where Han Solo ends up. Yeah. The story of how he got there, like, how, how important is that to tell if... The more important story is after he got there in episode four and then and then went on that journey uh, in episodes four, five, and six, six yeah. right? I don't know. That that almost feels like the Han Solo movie, to me, kind of feels like something that's um, kind of like a from dusk till dawn bank robber. Well, not from dusk till dawn because that's got vampires in it. But it's kind of like, you know, it's like a heist movie. Yeah. So it's Han Solo as like an Ocean's Eleven type heist thing. And so that would be that. But again, like, what does that add? So to me, it doesn't add much to the universe or the character because we already know the character so well. And the part of the universe that he's going to deal with has also already been dealt with before. Before, yeah. So I want to see these standalone movies deal with stuff we haven't seen to expand the universe, yeah. I guess. And even my, if, they, my summary. if they deal with, with established characters to a certain degree, let them appear in the background, like uh, in the original uh, or in the Legacy canon, Han Solo was at, uh, a student at the Imperial Academy. Mm-hmm. And you could have him uh, in a, in a movie set in an Imperial Academy in the background, you know, yeah. like a teacher. Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Or the Ferris Bueller teacher. Solo. Solo. <laughs> um, Solo stay off. That yeah, <laughs> that's it. That could work as a comedy, but you know, I don't know. They should do. I want to see that. <laughs> I really want to see Han Solo's day off. That would be so cool. And he like, maybe he like hotwires. That's how he gets the Millennium Falcon. He like hot, hotwires. So like instead of the Ferrari, it's the Millennium Falcon. Falcon. And that's how he kind of meets Chewie. And so like, can you get that <laughs> and maybe there's like the, 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 the girl in, in that um, Han Solo's day off is like, um, she's pretending to be a princess. And that's like, you know, it ties back into, into Princess Leia when he meets her. It's like, oh, you know, another princess, yeah. you know, like that, that would, that would be fun. That would be great. All right. Yeah. That's my vision for what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and a weekend at Bernie movie with Palpatine after he falls to his death. <laughs> so said after episode six, in between episode six and episode seven, where they try to keep up the facade that the Empire is still working. <laughs> Palpatine around. Yeah. Or it'll be cool if it was the previous Sith Lord who died and Palpatine was taking him around, telling other people that he's still alive to follow his orders. You know? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, so do you think there's enough content there? And clearly we just came up with some gold ideas yeah. right now to have a movie every 12 months. I don't think so. Well, for the, you don't think so? For the next few years, they have a, a, a map uh, lined out and I guess they have, they have already planned out or at least sketched out what the other trilogy in the episode department will be mm-hmm. i guess we're good until episode like 12 there yeah but i'm not sure if the the star wars stories 
will will be a sufficient filling filling piece every two years. Yeah. Hmm. I think you know. I, I think that if you get someone, or if you get a bunch of people with a good um, with good creative skills, much better than my English skills, right? <laughs> now. Uh, but if you get a, you know that there is a lot of material that they could mine. And one of the, the analogies I like to draw is just think about like World War Two, right? As well as the overall arc of what happened in World War Two, there's also so many individual stories yeah. that happened throughout the war on like all the different sides that it was happening, right? And so imagine like you could have like a version of enemy at the gates done in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. So maybe it's not snipers, but maybe it's like another type of, um, I don't know, soldier, maybe like how the bounty hunters are involved or something like that. You could do some really cool stuff, yeah. but that really does call for the level of risk-taking with the storytelling and risk-taking with the way they make the movies that I don't think Disney is, um, is willing to go down that road. No. Because Enemy at the Gates didn't make a billion dollars. No. You know, I don't even think Saving Private Ryan made a billion dollars. You know, so using that template, maybe Schindler's List, you know, I mean, so there's like so many, there's so many types of stories you could tell in the context of the war that's happening here. Yeah. Uh, that I think that there's obviously a lot of material. It's just, are the creators, are Disney willing to take it there and be able to be challenging with the way they tell these stories? Or are they just, again, going to give us what they expect we want from them? You know, and so I think that's the risk. The focus group thing has become such a, a, a widespread yeah. thing to do because just go on the internet and type in Star Wars expectations and you yeah. get... Uh, the uh, the craziest the craziest things that represent uh, a a better opinion than just the uh, twenty to thirty people uh, who are locked in a room with with buzzers. Yeah. So I'm not sure <laughs> which which approach they will take to But, whatever suits us best. Um, and that's the thing. It's like you don't want to have a movie made by a committee because yeah. you know what you're gonna end up with. You're gonna end up with Suicide Squad. Yeah. And I think that's that's the unfortunate um, position we're in now. Is Disney's you know. Disney's going to give us a McDonald's version of Star Wars. So it might be tasty and it might look good, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be McDonald's. So, you know, it's still going to be very much a franchised uh, creation. Yeah, an unhealthy based, affair. Well, you know, health aside, but it's always going to be based on what's going to sell, yeah. you know, and what, what the people want. Whereas the great movies and what, what made Star Wars great in the first place, which is what we talked about, it was, it was so different to what people were expecting at the time. You know, it effectively was a fantasy movie set in, you know, with a science fiction disguise, yeah. right? And it was a vision that an artist had, which people had not seen before. And to this day, couldn't have been, or, or wasn't replicated in the same way. Yeah. It's like that whole thing. It's like, if you get everything you asked for, then you'll, your mind will never be blown. Yeah. So I, I think, unfortunately, that's where we are with Star Wars now. They can make a new movie every 12 months, but it's going to be more of the same. And that was my hope because Marvel, I mean, as cool as the Marvel movies are and as awesome as the Marvel movies are, I want to see something different. Yeah. And I had a lot of hopes for what DC was bringing. And to an extent, like, I like their dark approach to the movies. I, I like the fact that the characters were humorless, you know. <laughs> but... What they also did is they tried to dumb it down. Yeah. You know, they, they, they went in and they sort of recut the movies and cut out bits and put in bits and try to make it, 
You know, it's like after Deadpool, they try to make it funny. You know, Deadpool's a great example of you don't need a big budget and stuff like that, oh. but you just need a vision and you just need to be able to say, I want to show people something they've never seen before. Yeah. And I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah. But um, w- when you've got the amount of budgets and the brand uh, recognition involved with Star Wars, the risk is not going to be taken. And that's, that's the fear. Yeah. Um, that's the fear. <laughs> my, my path to the dark. Fear leads to anger. Right and so <laughs> Yeah, I know. Right? Hey, that's the world we're living in now. Where it's, a, it's, a, it's a world consumed by fear. Yeah. So leading to anger, leading to hate, leading to suffering, my friends. Yeah. So <laughs> let's come out of that little hole of reality. Come back out to Star Wars. Shine the light. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> shine the light. So I think um, that's where um, that's where we are with these next couple of movies. Yeah. All right. So shall we end on a happier note then? Yeah. Let's end on a happier note. Let's talk about our favorite characters, for example. Should we focus on on a set of of things, or just say in all of Star Wars? Yeah. Just use all of Star Wars. All of Star Wars. So who's your favorite character? Are you going to throw to me first? At I this moment have in time. <laughs> at this moment in time, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind, my favorite character is Ezra from Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. I, maybe it's just my, my uh, maturity level, but I'm always drawn to characters that are a little bit lost. Yeah. So the other character that I, you know, that I really liked is Kanan as well. So I think Ezra and Kanan to me work really well because they are both a little bit lost. They're both trying to find their way they find their place in the universe, so to speak. And the battle between, you know, what's right and what they should be doing. So, you know, what, what, you know, what they want versus what is needed. Like Ezra obviously wants revenge, yeah. but he said, you know, that's for his own satisfaction. What about what's needed for the rest of the universe? And that, that sort of struggle between duty and um, having to, to do what, what's right. Yeah. So, yeah, Ezra and Kanan for me. You can, to a point, like, Luke is the other character that's kind of in that same spot. But I think Luke was just so templated that I really didn't get any sort of emotional resonance with it, with with him. Whereas it, Ezra has a much more richer struggle that he's going through. Luke is somebody who grows onto you over time mm-hmm. because his change or, or his arc isn't... It, it isn't as apparent to one as uh, on the on the first viewing. But when you see... The first scene in episode four and in episode six, where he's an almost full-fledged uh, Jedi and then very sure yeah. of himself. And you know, all the reconstructive face surgery Mark Hamill had after the, the motorcycle right. accident. So he yeah. he looks much more adult. He looks much more weathered by the yeah. time he gets to that stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that's not as apparent uh, at, the, at the first viewing. It's something you realize over time. Yeah. The, the growth he experienced. Oh, for sure. I mean, he goes through a lot of, I mean, he changes completely, right? He goes from that, that boy who was like having to clean his room and like get ready for the harvest to like effectively saving the universe and redeeming his father, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it, his, his, his arc is huge. But at the same time, to me, you know, again, compared to Ezra. Yeah, yeah. He's very uh, clean cut. Yeah. Well, not just clean cut, but it's almost like he's, he's got a destiny of victory. Yeah. You know, so Luke almost comes to me even though he's not, but it's kind of like the jock who knows he's going to win at the end of the day, yeah. you know, because that's what destiny yes, says. Yeah. Like, yeah. whereas, and maybe I just haven't watched Rebels close enough, but Ezra's a wild card. Like you don't know. And that's part of the, um, that's part of the fascination with the character is you don't know. Like, that's why this next season is going to be so cool because you're like, 
what's going to happen with the dark side. You know, you don't know what's going to happen there. Because Ezra, Ezra is willing to take the risk of of temptation or, or falling into temptation. He doesn't care about yeah. uh, about the repercussions it could have if he can achieve his goal. Yeah, and revenge. like you know, so a similar thing to me with like um, Aang in um, uh, the Last Airbender. Yeah. You know, it's Aang was even in more interesting on a different level because he had um he had a destiny right yeah but he couldn't reconcile his beliefs with that destiny and what he was supposed to do yeah right because he was effectively non-violent whereas ezra as well it's like you know both sides are kind of like a, or both characters are kind of like there's a mystery about how they're actually going to achieve their goal in the end yeah. and a mystery around should they even achieve their their, their, goal, yeah. their, their goal which is which is what i like about the, the tension of those characters yeah um, so yeah, so that's that's me. Uh, I, I don't want to overshadow you. So what's uh, who's your favorite character? My answer is much more simple. It's C three PO because yeah. I'm that guy in real life that tells everybody the chances of survival <laughs> and how stupid they are. Right. I was gonna. Say, I was like, I'm the guy in real life who's always losing both. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. Like, I'm losing limbs left and right. I escaped the lepro. Uh, you know, C-3PO uh, is a fantastic character, I yeah. think. Even in, like, episode 7, when he shows up. Yeah, he's great. It's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, I miss this guy so, so much. much yeah. yeah. He's that strange uncle <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or rather the, the aunt, the overprotective aunt or a mother yeah. character. But for everybody, for, for, for the whole rebellion. And for the audience as well, because in those moments where it does get super tense, like, C-3PO is there to help you ease ease out of the yeah, tension geez. you know he's there to you know help you uh relieve some of that yeah. tension so it's a great great character see we need more of those and less jar jars <laughs> <laughs> yeah there wasn't any i mean it was thin to a point with the the comedic relief in episode seven no bba bba oh yeah was my bba yeah. was just fantastic i think a great great successor to 3-3po and r2d2 yeah. cute as all hell i yeah. loved to BB-8, he was really good. Or she, I'm not sure, it's a, it's a droid. But um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. All right, so, and then, favorite scene? That's a hard one. I just, I just wrote that out. I didn't think of anything. But <laughs> do you have anything All right. that comes to your mind? What scene stands out to you as your favorite, your favorite scene in Star Wars? Like, so if you think about, like, when you think Star Wars, what pops in your head is, like, the best or not so much the best, like the first visual. The first visual is Vader when he comes out uh, at the end of um, the first season of Rebels, when Tarkin says the Emperor has granted me special reinforcements, and Vader mm -hmm. steps out of the of the shuttle, and you see the Macquarie design, and the camera oh, yeah. is at his uh, at his stomach, so he seems even more more imposing than than he actually is. Yeah, like just just the breathing. That's I think yeah that that and 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 Vader at the end of of episode uh, of the uh, second season of of rebels the, yeah. the iconic the 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 angry the angry guy who had a destiny that seemingly has been taken away from him yeah. but being vader is his destiny falling down that hole is the thing that'll make his son great <laughs> yes my, i'm destined to fall down a hole <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, that first time Vader enters the scene in episode four is, yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. Because, like, again, it's like something you'd never seen before. Yeah. I the, 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 the way the scene was put together, the, so it was just an 
in itself such an awesome statement because it was inside the sh- it was inside the the rebel ship and it, it was a it was a diplomatic ship I think as well right so everything was yeah. like white and clean on the inside and then these white stormtroopers come in all like dressed in white but in the middle of them so in the in the middle like the focal point of that bright scene is this dark helmeted glossy figure with a cape and it's like wow this is like a f- literally the, the the center of darkness in the universe has just shown up you know it's like really really great like visually that was just a stunning scene yeah, yeah. really cool and everybody waited uh, for him to take his helmet off but then you uh later you realize no he can't take this helmet off because he'd be dead then yeah he does he, well i think he takes it off um and i can't remember but i like i can't remember which specific movie but he does take it off when he's talking to the Emperor, I believe, like when he's in his private changes. Yeah, in uh, Return of the Jedi, he has this meditation oh, that's in Return chamber of the Jedi. that's uh, right. a, larger, a larger version of his life support system. Right. Because um, I remember in the first time you see that, you don't really see his face, you just see behind, yeah. right? Yeah, because he's, he's actually putting it on. So he's just coming out of the chamber yeah. and he's putting it, it back on. There's this yeah. great, uh, it's, it's part of the new books, uh, Shadow of the Empire, or Lords of the Sith, it's called. And it okay. starts with Vader getting ready to leave the chamber in the beginning. And it's uh, such a great description of, of how he deals with having this essentially full body prosthetic. That he right. really uses this anger, his anger to deal with the situation. And that uh, the Force becomes par- part of it uh, in, in right. controlling this, this extension of, of his body and how... How, how, not, not how, how lost. Uh, I don't, I, uh, my English isn't, isn't at his best today. Yeah, how, like, usually at this point in the podcast, we, we both kind of start losing our English. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my coffee has run out <laughs> and my sugar levels are dropping. So, like, uh, just, just get through it. Yeah, it's just, uh, he feels like, like a desert made, like a, a body made out of a desert, desolate right. and, and mm-hmm. harsh and, just like barren yeah barren of life but there's this mm. there's still this hope or, or this right. this this flicker of light in him even if it's just uh, all the the anger that he he gathers to deal with his existence as this this wow. desert what what so that was called shadow of the sith uh, lords of the sith lords of the yeah. sith okay it starts, it's a comic or a book it's a book it starts really great and then it becomes like a body comedy between uh the emperor and vader <laughs> oh really <laughs> In itself, it actually sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great book, but it's it's like it's like lethal weapon. To, to oh, nice! There you go. It's lethal weapon with this with, with the emperor and Vader. Vader right? yeah, it's... <laughs> nice. So my favorite scene is actually from episode one. Ironically, doesn't involve Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> it is the big fight scene with um, it is this, the big fight scene with Darth Maul with Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan. So the fight scene as a whole, I really love. Um, I love the um, just even the music on the back of that, like the um, the score. They've got the, a chorus. It's like an orchestral yeah, chorus. Duel right? of the Singing. Fates is Duel the of the name Fates. Of the That's exa- yeah, exactly right. Uh, great song. Yeah. Like I love that song still. But my favorite part of that scene is actually when I think when it's it's early in the fight. It's in the, at least the first third of the fight when they start fighting, and then the barriers come up. Yeah. So, I, so for, yeah. For some reason, there's like they were like moving through because they're always fighting in an engine room or something. Yeah, and <laughs> so they're always barriers. So, <laughs> yeah, and then so like halfway through that first part of the fight, 
um, these barriers come up and it separates Qui-Gon Jinn from Obi-Wan and separates the two of them from Darth Maul. Yeah. And so the three of them are just standing there or they're just waiting for the barriers to, 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 to open up again. But all three of them do something completely different. Yeah. And it was really awesome because it, it really stood out to me. Qui-Gon Jinn just, you know, effectively sits down cross-legged and starts meditating. Yeah. Right? And just effectively, like, centers himself in finding peace as the Jedi Master. Um, Darth Maul is standing there, like, menacing, just sort of, like, exuding hate <laughs> towards Qui-Gon Jinn and, oh, and Obi-Wan. And visually, Darth Maul was just a spectacular character yeah. as well. Like, I just love the way he looked. So, second in my um, favorite characters would probably be Darth Maul, actually. <laughs> and Obi-Wan, as the younger Jedi, who was still kind of learning at that stage, he, he wasn't quite as together as Qui-Gon Jinn was. So I just love that that one probably five-second sequence when they're just waiting for the barriers to open up again with the three of them just like just showing so much of character with that one scene where there's no dialogue and nobody's even moving because because they, they, they just, they're, they're all just there, you know? Yeah, just really cool. And you know, really, with, the, really love with the trust that Qui-Gon puts in the Force, he has, or to, to a certain extent, he has to be aware that once the barrier opens, this is it for him. He's gonna he's gonna die in that fight. Yeah, and to just but he's accept he's completely this. at peace yeah. with that. Yeah, and even as he gets up, because there, there's this there's this scene before the barrier gets up. They show Qui Gon opening his eyes, and he just springs into action. Although yeah. to a certain degree, he must be aware that his undoing is unfolding. Yeah, uh, but with the opening of the but barrier. he's <laughs> but he's going he's going all in. You know, it's like yeah, it's like complete. I mean, I, w I won't say surrender to destiny, but he's doing what he needs to do yep. at that moment in time. Yeah, so that that's pretty much like when I think Star Wars, that's like the first yep. scene that pops into my mind in terms of what it means to be a Jedi. So yeah, and it's funny. There's no Skywalkers in that scene. <laughs> no, not in that scene. But you know, he's busy destroying the the droid command ship. <laughs> This ridiculous. Yeah. That's right. I can't again. Like I've not rewatched episode one over and over again. The only thing I've rewatched is that one fight scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I Me don't too, even when know. I what... think episode one is that fight scene. Yeah, because Anakin was just like a kid in that one anyway. Like he was like well, I don't know five or something. Yeah. <laughs> they should have made him older. Well, it was was really weird because then you get like this weird cradle snatching vibe of him and Amidala, you know. So yeah, but if he, if we they introduced um, Hayden Christensen mm -hmm. in in the first movie, so make him a teen and if, if, if yeah. To me, it would have made the yeah. flow uh, a bit better. I think I think they should have made him a little bit older. Like he was, he looked somewhere between five and eight. I can't remember what his actual age was, but I think if they'd made him like maybe even like um, I don't know, twelve or thirteen yeah. or fourteen or something, it would have made it would have felt a lot better when he finally grew up and got it on with Padme. Yeah, because it just felt so weird. Yeah, <laughs> when, when you, you know. Yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. But most people don't see it. I talked with my with my sister-in-law about it recently because she watched the prequels mm -hmm. and she said, "Yeah, well, the romantic or she 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 declared it a romantic love story." And then right. I told her, um, "A man is bugging a woman into a relationship. Where's the romance yeah. in that?" And then she watched it again and said, "Yeah, you're kind of right. It's rather it's creepy. An old woman." <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that I think they could have done much better with that then is if they'd established even in episode one, which I don't think they do, but if they establish that Anakin was a little bit enamored, even if it was puppy love yeah. with um, 
with Padme when he first saw her. And then he kind of continues on that as he grows up. So even though he doesn't see her all the time, she's still like, um, she's still in his mind. Yeah. And that's why he goes out and seeks her and doesn't find someone his own age. Right. Yeah. Um, that would have made sense. Like if they'd established that a little bit better. Um, because I, I, I don't think there's a problem with him having like, or Padme being an older woman. It just no. didn't want, I just didn't want it to feel like Mrs. Robinson, you know, yeah. in the sense of like, she was like, she was being the creepy one trying to you know, get on with this kid. Or the other thing they could have done, cause she was supposed to be like a child queen anyway. Why not have an actual, like, you know, like a younger girl play the role of Padme yeah. and not have Natty, Natalie Portman herself. It was already convoluted enough. They could have established that. Naboo citizens grow slowlier, you know them. Yeah, when they are twenty, they look like they're six, something like that. Because do they say how old Padme is? Isn't she supposed to be like twelve years old or something? So technically, like, there's only like a couple of years gap between her okay, and Anakin. Yeah. But with the casting, it just looks so wrong. No, she looks you know like I mean? she's in her early twenties. She, yeah, she yeah. at least looks late, late teens, yeah. right? So, so, yeah, we can establish that. So I don't know. Hi anyway, hi there notes. you go. <laughs> <laughs> we get what we got, you know. <laughs> so cool. So that was our Star Wars special. Yeah. Hope everybody enjoyed that because yeah, it was um, it was a fun idea. Yeah, it was it fun. Was, it, it was actually fun to go through it. Yeah. So uh, it, it it made me really think about for myself some of these things, like you know, what was my first time and re revisit that, uh, as well as I've never really thought about what was my favorite character before because I've always kind of taken Star Wars in its en entirety. Really, never, never any. Any favorite? No. Like, on a subconscious level, I find myself re-watching re certain movies in certain parts. Yeah. I've never really... I think just Hayden Christensen as Anakin, really, I didn't... Didn't have... So, for me, I really need to have, like, some sort of emotional resonance with the character. Yeah. And you don't um, get it with Hayden. I don't get it with Hayden no. at all. I mean, he's just... His performance is so disjointed. You know, he can act. I've seen him act okay, But it's just really bad. And but everyone was really bad acting in those in those episodes one, two, and three. Yeah, except for even McGregor. I think he's the only person that's aware yeah. of what is what he's actually doing and he's just giving it his all. Yeah. But I mean, but at the same time, you know, if you've got so many actors that are all bad in one movie, yeah. it's probably the director's fault at that stage. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. statistically, you know, you you can't get a whole bunch of crap like unless you actually cast a whole bunch of crap actors and they're all bad when the whole movie is bad because of the acting. Yeah. It's because the director is kind of, you know, probably all over the place and not really understanding what where the characters and the scenes coming from. But anyway, I'm not I'm not a um I'm not a director myself to be able to make <laughs> to yeah, be able to make statements, a yeah, massive but... judgment like that. But yeah, so I've never really like I I I really like the universe and I really like you know the entirety of Star Wars as a whole. So having to sort of deep dive into the specifics like that was quite fun. And I realized that out of all of them, Star Wars Rebels and Ezra is the character that I most connect with uh, because of my my lost boy mentality. Yeah, but <laughs> I think uh, it's, yeah, of course, it's it's uh, because of a certain level of maturity, but it's it's something that we all experience in our lives and mm -hmm. on, a, on, a, on a daily basis because, you know, life is ever changing. Yeah. Well, everyone's trying to find their place, right? So. Yeah. Or define their place or make their place. place yeah. So I think, you know, that's where Ezra really fits in. Yeah. And Kanan as well. So. Yeah. And, and doing that, it, it, you know, through, through the force is such a great, great metaphor because you can put whatever 
you want in it? Self, self-reliance, religion, uh, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. And it's, it's a nice metaphor for steering through our actual lives. Yeah. Wow, we just ended on a quite oh, yeah. profound note right there. Wow, ah. the zen, the zen of our Star Wars special. <laughs> it's so nice that we ended on, on such a high note. Right, yeah. there you go. Change the world, Martin, change the world. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, so thank you if you've listened all the way through today and um, hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening. Yeah, we'll be posting about what's our next topic, right? So we'll see what happens. Do We got Doctor Strange coming out soon, uh, so that's in we November. We got Luke Cage before that. All right, so Luke Cage, Doctor Strange. We got a lot to start of Star Wars Rebels Season 3. When does that start? Next week on... <gasps> oh, yeah, 20, 24th, September 24th. Wow. As well as Luke Cage comes out next Friday, I guess. Wow. We got a, we got a big next couple of weeks. Yeah. So this was actually a great time to have, um, <laughs> to have our Star Wars. I special. thought, because we, uh, we, didn't have, we don't have so much going on, we do a little sentence episode. Yeah, be- we'll call it... We'll call it Asteroids in Exile, a Star Wars special. A Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> a Star Wars story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, get cool. get the mouse in our inboxes. Awesome. So, thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asteroids in Exile. If you have feedback or want to let us know your answers or observations to our questions about Star Wars, please send us an email at asteroidsinexile at gmail.com. You'll find further information and links to this episode in the show notes as well as our blog on asteroidsinexile.com. Have a great time. You'll hear from us. Um, so, yeah, so I'm Niv, uh, and we're... Do we do, do we we don't normally do introductions at this stage, do we? No, because we introduce ourselves before the show in the little bit. Oh, that's right. So we're doubling yeah. up. Yeah, that's what I thought we do that, but I'm like, I don't remember doing it at this stage. So <laughs> we oh. haven't done it for a while because I'm still using the first introduction. We, we should really redo those introductions for uh, the next. They're season. very charming. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Thank the maker. This guy's a psychopath.